On Sunday mornings, I normally get up around 5.30. I go um, make, turn on the coffee pot, sip some coffee, start reading the scriptures, and I start praying. And this morning, the alarm went off, and I looked over, and I said, I have more time. And then I looked over later, and it was seven-something. And I was like, oh, <laughs> look out. Um, yesterday, we were helping uh, my, my son-in-law and my daughter prepare to move. They're moving to Laramie, and we'll be helping them move. I hate helping people move, but I love my daughter and my, my son-in-law, so we, we wanted to be a part of that. Like when we came to Wyoming, I said, I'm never moving again. It's, it's moving is that bad. Um, but we have a couple young couples that are moving this week. Uh, Wilson and Kylie are not here. They had to take care of some things. So Wilson and Kylie Stewart are moving to Laramie. And Hannah and Josh are moving to Laramie. And so just be in prayer for them uh, as they're moving. And so the last three young couples that I've married have moved to Laramie. So... Uh, <laughs> I'm going to keep marrying people, but I'll be asking in the premarital counseling, are you guys going to move after you get married or you'll stay here with us? But uh, obviously, we want to be praying for young families, so uh, keep them in your prayers and everybody in that. As we begin today, I want to share a poem. You may have heard the poem uh, in the past, Ozymandias, um, from, by Percy Shelley, um, married to Mary Shelley, if you recognize that name. And so as we set the tone here at the beginning, I want you just to listen to me read uh, Ozymandias um, in this poem that has, it represents what we see here. I met a traveler from an antique land who said two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them, on the sand, half sunk, a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command Tell that its sculptor well those passions read, which yet survive stamped on these lifeless things, the hand that mocked them and the, hurt, the heart that fed. And on the pedestal these words appear, My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty and despair. No thing beside remains round the decay of that colossal wreck Boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. The church, I share that poem with you at the beginning because it captures something that we forget in history and time. That nations come and go. Dictators rise and are taken down. And throughout the, the decades, throughout the centuries and the millennia, nations have come and gone. Now, Psalm 75, 7, I'm going to read this here, and just the reminder is that no earthly power is permanent. They come and go throughout history. And when they come into power, it is by the hand of God. When they are deposed, it is by the hand of God. Psalm 75, 7. But it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. Throughout history, you can think of all the world powers that have existed and we've read and you've seen maybe documentaries on this or Egypt. The power that once was has come and gone. Babylon, Persia, the Greek Empire, uh, Athens, Rome, the French and British empires, Nazi Germany, 
And many tribes and nations we've never heard of have come and gone in world history. Even so, here we are, and for the most part, I feel like we have a good framework in the government that we have that we are actually to be subject to. You could have been born anywhere in the world, but you were born in this nation here. Now, 2,000 years ago, during the time of Rome, when Rome was a world power, Christianity was born. It was a time, a great time in history where uh, Rome was experiencing a time of peace, something called the Pax Romana. Uh, This peace allowed ease of travel and protection. As they have dominated the world, and though it was a world power, it allowed for peace at the same time. Rome had created roads for travel, which many still exist today. If you were to watch or read or watch a documentary about that or read about that, you can still see those kind of like the, um, the Oregon Trails or the Bozeman Trails that you can still see today in Wyoming and Montana. Um, also, they dominated the Mediterranean that allowed convenience of not just roads, but traveling by sea. It is in this culture during this time frame that Christianity is born. And the gospel begins to be preached and Christianity spreads like a wildfire because people can just move freely throughout the Roman Empire. And that brings us to the text today from 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 17. And here it is. I want you to remind you who Peter was. Peter was one of the twelve. He is the one that denied Christ. And Christ said, I have prayed for you. You're going to deny me. Satan wishes to sift you as wheat. When you return, strengthen the brothers. And at this point, Christianity has spread. But Peter has something to say. Though we are being persecuted at times, uh, we are to be submissive in general to this government. This is the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul as well. They agree on the same thing. To be subject to the authorities that God has placed in the world And they they both were killed by uh, the Roman government. What does he say here? Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Again, remember, government established to provide protection, to punish evil, and to promote good. For this is the will of God. Now, that's powerful right here at the beginning. Again, we're born in a nation that resisted against the British Empire, against tyranny. And we have a spirit that wants to resist common things and common goods, even when we're upset when we get a ticket for speeding on the road, when you know you don't need to do 20 over. Um, These laws that we have, the government is here for a measure of protection. And a reminder, if you want the will of God for your life, this is what it says. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. What does that mean? It means that people are um, mocking Christians. You're supposed to be Christians, but you're acting like this. And it's a reminder that we are to obey the common laws of man. Uh, And we put to to silence this ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your Christianity as a cover-up for evil. I can do whatever I want. I'm a Christian. But living as servants of God. It is God, then government. We worship God who has all authority. We are submissive to the government for the most part that He has placed in power. And he ends this little portion here. Honor everyone... Love the brotherhood, that means the family of God, be in love with the faith, 
Fear God, and the reminder right at the end is honor the emperor. I mean, it's fascinating. He is not a Christian. He is not godly, but you are to honor the position he has been given by God. Let's pray together today. God in heaven, we love you, and we thank you for this, this time just to worship you. Lord, I thank you for the way your spirit is moving in the brotherhood, in the faith, in our church. Lord, that there's this passion of people moving toward you and loving one another. And Lord, let us hear from heaven today. And Lord, I thank you that we're part of a church that wants to preach the truth, uh, that we're not changing things just to suit the hearts of man. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us this truth that we can depend on you because it is your truth that transforms lives. We don't get to change this and still hope for people to be born again. We pray that you bless your words as they go forward. And Lord, again, that we become the disciples you want us to be. When people see us, that they see something different. That they see citizens of another world, of another kingdom. And though we have citizenship here, Lord, that we represent you, that we are ambassadors of your mission here on earth. And Lord, let us not back up. Let us be submissive when it's time to be submissive. And Lord, I pray that we speak against evils when it's time to speak. And we love you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, last week, church, I likened the culture unto an ice flow. The ice flow is moving south. It is moving away from God. And all we can do on the ice flow, this is already predicted, this is already prophecy that the world is moving away from God and He's going to come and judge the world. Our duty as Christians is not to save the culture, it is to save people. Uh, to preach the gospel to people. And when they are saved, their lives change, their families change. And when there's more salt and light in the world, it changes areas in the world. We can see an organization improve when there's a Christian influence there. But again, the ice flow is moving south. God is in the business of redeeming a people out of the world. We're not trying to save this earth. This earth, actually, if you read the scriptures, is going to be dissolved. It's going to melt in the judgment. And God is going to make a new heaven and a new earth. Now, I think, I think we should probably do a, a sermon on climate change and stewardship. Um, because on one aspect, we're to take care of the earth. But I'm not worshiping this thing. This thing's going downhill. It's going to die, you know. Um, I hurt some people's feelings, but we'll move on. I'll hurt them again in about five minutes. Um, but here it is. We are to be in subject to the authorities of God um, that He has placed in the world. And last week, we were reminded that everyone, um, we are to be submissive to government, but not blindly bow to evil forces. Uh, on one end, we want to see good policies. We want to see good politicians. We want to see good laws made. And when there's bad laws made, even though we are submissive in that, we are to resist those things and speak about those things and vote people in that are, that are going to change these bad laws. We submit, again, in general, um, for God's glory. That, you know, some, on one end, there's these Christians that protest every single thing. And on the other end, there's some people that don't say anything. And I'm of the opinion in the middle here, I'm not speaking about every single thing every single day. I'm in the business of trying to disciple people and lead them to Jesus. But there's times where we've got to push back and say some things. Uh, I don't think I've ever done, as much as I've wanted to, a Sanctity of Human Life march. I've only done something like that one time in my life, and I was a kid, and my parents took me to it. Our church did a march. 
to say we believe in life. Uh, I, 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 um, like I will not give money to things I don't believe in. So there's different things that I do. And you'll see stuff on Facebook. I'm not like, hey, everybody, I love you. Look at the flowers. I just, there's some intense things I'm going to post. Uh, there's some things we have to speak to in the world. So on one end, people do too much. And on the other end, not enough. We are to be in the middle. Now, over time, God has used faithful men and women throughout history to do good and to intervene, uh, to intercept, to overturn, and overcome evil with good. We see it move. There's times where evil is becoming intense in the world, and we see where good intercepts that and overturns those things. Like slavery was an evil in the world for the most part, and it was overturned. And why, how was it overturned, by the way? Christians, godly people speaking about evils in the world. Now, last week we learned that when government makes laws that are evil, we have every right. It is our duty as Christians to speak out and act within reason uh, as we are guided by the Holy Spirit um, and not give in to evil, an evil false unity. So within the last uh, six years, we've heard our culture is so divisive. You think our culture is divisive now? There was a civil war where people were killing family members. What they mean now is that you, they don't want you to speak the truth against lies. That is the division we see. Because we're to be a people of truth. Well, that causes disunity. I can't be in unity with people that worship Satan. I can't be in unity with paganism. I can't be in unity with somebody that says, yeah, we kill babies. Save the eagles, but kill the babies. There's not going to be unity there. Uh, that is the culture we're in. So when people say it's so divisive, it's divided, what they mean is that truth is dividing what is true from lies. And those are actually really good things. So throughout history, God has moved, and Christians are to be involved. There would be no reformation if Martin Luther didn't resist what was happening in Christianity in Rome. And in fact, I believe God protected him. And there's a man named Gregory the Great. You can go back and look. Uh, Gregory the Wise, who protected Martin Luther. Because Roman, the, the emperor, wanted him killed. And they hid him because he was resisting the evils that were taking place in Christianity. There'd be no reformation today without Martin Luther. And last week, we also dealt with the fact that we can resist when it comes to life, uh, when it comes to worship, that we don't think the government should be shutting down any churches. And even so, even if they locked up the building, we are still the church and we can worship freely wherever God calls us to worship. Now, in the coming years, we may have to radically change how we do that. Uh, online worship was increasing more and more and more, but it, isn't it good to meet together as God's people? There was a lot of depression in, in 2020 when the churches were closed and all these things, and, and people departed from the faith. There was suicide. There was all kinds of things taking place. So I'm glad we're able to worship together. But I think things are going to radically change in the coming decades. And whatever it takes, we want to worship together. Now we're going to look at two more biblical reasons when it's okay to resist. On one aspect, we are submitting in general to government. On the other end, when things are evil, we can resist those things. And the, the third thing, which is today, which is going to be our first thing, is uh, prayer. When it comes to prayer, we are a praying people. In Daniel chapter 6, it says this, When Daniel knew that this law, this document had been signed, he went to his house where he had been, where he had his windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. 
He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had always done. Some of the translations. And what's taking place here, Daniel is a prophet. If you don't know who he is, they've been taken captive from Jerusalem. They're taken to Babylon, and then it becomes Persia. Persia takes over. And here, there's, he is a godly man. He prays three times a day. He goes home three times a day to pray, opening the windows toward the east, praying on his knees. And he works in the government. And what happened is other government officials did not like Daniel. One, because he's a Hebrew, he loves his God, and he was honest. He was an honest employee. When you're an honest employee, it sets the tone. It raises the bar. And the unethical, ungodly employees don't like that. They become very jealous. They want you fired. They will gossip about you. They want you to get in trouble. And that's what they wanted to do with Daniel. They wanted to eliminate Daniel because they were stealing money from the government. How come Daniel, when he brought in the revenue, the taxes, and all this, all his books were good? He always had extra money. And some these other guys, there's money missing. Well, we can't have that found out. So what do they come up with? A plan to get rid of Daniel. And a law, a law was signed in that if anyone prays that's not unto Darius, um, that he can be thrown into the lion's den. That's why this verse is so awesome. I love it because he knew that the law was signed, and he went home and prayed anyway. You have one of these pansy little silly Christians today said, it's a law not to pray. We can't pray. We're supposed to follow the government. And here it is, you have a prophet who's living in another culture under another government who is still praying to the one true God, even when it was signed into a law not to do it. It's amazing to me, church, how easy Christians in our culture has given up on prayer. They, they yanked it out of the school system. Now, looking back, now it is, I don't know that I want my kids praying to Allah and every kind of God that they might bring in there. But we've seen people fighting for years and complaining. We need prayer in the schools. And I like to ask people, are you praying at home with your kids? And you know what they do when I ask that? I just want to resist the government. I don't really want to pray in my home with my family. But it amazes me how easily we gave up on prayer. Our school systems... We have very good school systems. We have very good teachers um, that love God and want the best, and I've watched that for years. So when you speak something negative about public school and teachers, I'm not trying to rally you guys. Uh, don't protest me. <laughs> uh, we do have really godly Christian teachers in the school system. We love the schools. Uh, we love the school Emma's in. We're thankful. We love the schools and, and how teachers have blessed our kids. But there's some straight-up communists and atheists in the school system. They don't want your kids praying. And so what they started teaching is that this separation of church and state, I spent a lot of time talking about that last week. So now there was, teachers were telling kids, you can't pray because of separation of church and state. They used to have prayer meetings in schools, and then they started scaring kids, and so kids quit praying. And then people started pushing back, pastors and, and people, there was actually legal issues, laws and all this, and they found out a kid can pray if he wants to. But teachers were still saying they couldn't. So we had to do all the legal stuff, but there can be uh, student-led prayer services. There's not supposed to be teacher-led prayer services, and I understand why. Uh, but Christians pushed back, and things were open and, and explained a little more. And I think it was 2001, our oldest daughter was in a new charter school called a Children's Garden. And at the time, I didn't know it was a bunch of liberals that made this school. But however, you know, I didn't know at the time. I wasn't really following the Lord at the time. However, we were teaching our kids to pray. And one of Allie, our oldest daughter, was praying at her meal with a friend. 
And that after school that day, she came home crying. I said, what's going on? She said, I was praying over my meal, and one of the teachers came and said, we couldn't do that. I said, oh, really? So I called a meeting uh, and met with one of those co-principals. There was two principals. And I met with one of the principals, and I sat down and said, look, I just want to ask you a question. Are you guys telling people that kids can't pray? Well, I, 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 I don't know. He don't even have an answer. I said, look, my daughter was praying, and so-and-so said that she couldn't pray. I said, is that what you are teaching here? He said, I don't think so. I'll look into it, you know. And I was like, well, y'all need to stop. Uh, my kid can pray over her meal if she wants to. But what happened is a lot of people, one, teachers, not all teachers know, not all the principals know, and they should be able to pray if they want to. I mean, it's up to them. You know, I don't, I'm not saying shout, all kinds of stuff like that, but if you want to pray over your meal, that should be something normative. You guys heard about the coach in recent years that was praying at the half, um, the, the half, what am I trying to say? Half, the line, after the 50-yard line. I'm, I'm smart. Um, so they're, they're praying. This guy's praying after the game, and they're trying to say, no, he can't do that. And it goes to the Supreme Court. We had to make it go to the Supreme Court. Now, he wins this case, but it was only six to three. So I want you to know, so when you get these judges in here, that's something else. I could get into that. It's a whole other sermon, that those judges matter in our culture. You elect a president, and that president chooses and nominates somebody to be on the Supreme Court. That's why Roe v. Wade got overturned. But it wasn't overturned by unanimous decision, six to three. Six thinks it's okay to pray. Three thinks it's not okay to pray. I don't think that's a good thing. So what has bothered me is how people, we talk about, we don't want to remove from culture, we don't want to remove from government, but church, we have to be a people of prayer again. Um, this is who we are as Christians. If someone told me I couldn't pray, I would be like, what do you mean? I always pray. I always talk to God. Uh, prayer is like breathing for me. It's like breath is for the body, that prayer is for the soul. I am always talking to my Father in heaven. Uh, in fact, if you have kids and, and young, you should be teaching them at a young age to be conversing with God, to call on His name, to intervene, to ask for God to heal people. We've gathered our kids together over the years when there is a need, and we pray together with our family. They need to learn this at a young age, to, to know the Lord's prayer, to pray and be thankful over a meal. Uh, to intercede for family members, just to keep that prayer going, that they know that there's a God that they can call on when things get rough in the world. You cannot be a Christian today and not pray. And here it is. Throughout the Old Testament, throughout the Scriptures, people pray to God. Here it is Daniel, who is in the government, and they make a law that you cannot pray. If you pray, you'll be thrown into the lion's den. Obviously, they see him pray, and they have him thrown into the lion's den. God delivers him, but not everybody has been delivered. We are a people of prayer regardless of what happens in the culture. Regardless, if we were in a communistic country where they worship Stalin or, or if they worship Caesar in Rome, we still worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And, we still, and if anything, we should be praying all the more because of these things. That we should continue to do that. Through the book of Acts, the early church prayed from the beginning. They were praying and the Holy Spirit showed up. Uh, they were praying and eating meals together and learning the teachings together. They were doing community life together, all these things throughout. They prayed when they send somebody out to go into the mission field. They were always praying. Um, as the Christians moved out into the world, it was done through the power of prayer. Now, here's the thing. I do want you to know that you can make a request. I'm not saying every time there's an issue, saying, 
I resist you, government. I think like in your, in your job, if there's issues with your faith in the government, wherever you are, that there's a way of going to your boss and asking. I mean, you told your boss you got a job. Hey, look, I need Sundays off. Every Sunday I go to worship. What do they eventually start doing? They start scheduling you on Sunday, right? Hey, I thought we agreed that when I started, you know, and you need the job, but you need to learn to go to your boss and say, look, I need to be able to worship Jesus on Sunday with my church. Uh, it doesn't mean that, well, I'm just going to quit. Or I hate that boss. You can honor your boss. Daniel, Daniel uh, Nehemiah, if you know who Nehemiah was, Nehemiah wanted to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall. And he goes to his, the one above him and says, look, this is what's happening. And the guy supports him, gives him funds, and writes a letter for him to go do that. So he could have said, you know, I don't like you. I'm out of here. All right, you're executed. Um, so we have to learn to speak to the issues with, with salt, with grace, with love and patience. And we resist when there's a time to resist. This, this world is moving away from God. Um, and it does not want a church on fire with passion and the power of prayer. I think eventually you're going to see these weird disruptions in what we're supposed to be doing as Christians. What we do as Christians intercepts and interrupts and challenges the spirit of Antichrist in the world. Now raise your hand if you've ever heard the term Antichrist. A lot of people... Uh, we were teaching a, a lesson uh, at the mission this week, and I was talking about the difference in Antichrist, the man of sin who will be revealed. And everybody talks about the beast and 666, and there's a lot of um, uh, just silliness with that. We ate at Arby's. I was sharing this with my class Tuesday. We are eating at Arby's, and the price, uh, me and Jessica went on a date for her birthday, and we went to Arby's. Isn't that great? I let her get the big size and extra cheddar on the beef. It was great. Oh, happy times. But when we, we ordered, I mean, the economy, man, this, this economy. When we, we went to pay, it was 1666. And the lady that was checking this out, she says, glad that one was there. Or, or it'd be 666. I was like, what is this superstition nonsense? Um, anyway, that's a whole other story. It's like, there's the man of sin, the Antichrist. Just because something's 666 doesn't mean it's evil. That is the number that represents that person. Um, However, there is a movement in the culture that is against Christ. The Apostle John tells us that the spirit of Antichrist is already in the world. It moves against the church. It moves against the Christians. It is moving through nations and powers. Again, the Islo is moving away. The culture is moving away. So it's going to resist Christianity. And, and, and as we deal with this resistance, we have to work it out and decide what can we deal with? When are we to submit and when are we to resist? And the culture does not like the message of Christianity. It resists everything evil that is taking place today. Everything twisted and confused and, and confusing that has happened in our culture, Christianity speaks against those things. Now church, prayer is how we maintain our relationship with God. It is why Daniel's enemies came after him. And again, I truly believe that this Antichrist culture that we live in is looking for an occasion to accuse Christians. I'm already watching some of these things happen. Christians are being associated with certain groups. Um, it's this very reason that Paul, the, the Apostle Paul, instructs us to pray for our governing authorities. Why are we to pray for government? That we may live a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. That God would move in these situations. And that means that Paul knew that Christians needed to be praying. 
And we were to pray in all situations, in the Spirit, for everything, for everyone, even if the government says no. Now, the next thing I want you to see, when can the church resist? When can I say no to an authority? And so the last biblical thing that we see is the preaching of the gospel. Acts chapter 5, verses 28 through 29. It says here, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you, um, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us, Christ's blood upon the Jews. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. This is one of my favorite moments recorded in biblical history. When the, the powers that be were pushing against the church, and they're being persecuted, the apostles go out in the spirit of power and they begin preaching to the people that had Jesus killed. And people were being saved. And here it is, the gospel spreading throughout Jerusalem and Judea. And they're arrested and they are beaten and told not to preach the gospel. They go out and keep preaching the gospel. Well, they're taken into custody again. They're beaten. They're told, why are you preaching this? We commanded you not to preach the gospel. We commanded you not to talk about this Christian stuff, not to talk about the resurrected Christ. And what is their answer? We're going to obey God rather than people. Uh, you may be in government. You may have some form of authority, but only by the authority of God. And God's authority is above what the world says. And church, this is where we have backed up. We are afraid to preach good news. The Son of God came into the world, died on the cross for your, the sins of the entire world, rose again, a man came back to life, and people saw him walking around. And the Son of God is alive. He is resurrected. And we are to preach that good news. And if anybody says no, we say no to them. We are preaching this. What else can we talk about? What else can we do? People need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church, ultimately, we are to do what God commands, and He has commanded us to go and make disciples. You can't make disciples by agreeing with everyone. You can't make the followers of Jesus by saying, you know what, you're already okay and perfect, just keep living the way you're living. That is not the gospel message. It is good news because there is bad news. What is the bad news? The world is in sin. You can look around and know that the world is evil. This push that is coming from the antichrist spirit that is in the world. And there's been a rescue plan that God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him will not perish. That perish is an interesting word. That means in eternity away from God. It means your body dies and your soul. But you may have eternal life if you believe in Him. This is good news. The world is preaching bad news. They don't want to hear the good news because the good news intercepts their evil news. Church, this is why we are here. When they say we must obey God rather than men, that means preaching the true unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ. Doing whatever it takes to get the gospel into the world. Some supporting world missions. Uh, teaching classes, inviting people to church and to Christ. This is our mission. Our mission is not to do, hey, people just need hugs. Here you go. Now keep living in sin. I mean, that's just kind of what they've reduced the gospel to. They kind of say, we love you just the way you are, even though you're murdering and caught up in adultery and, and pedophilia and um, drunkenness and addiction and all of those things. 
Where has that ever been the gospel of Jesus Christ? It has never been that. The good news intercepts evil and tells people the truth. That they know their life is messed up. They do. They know they need something different. They need this detour that brings them into a relationship with God and moves them away from the evil that they're caught up in. And that's what we're here to do, church. The message of Jesus is what this culture needs. One, they need the message of Christ, the good news, the gospel. God loves you. He's got a better plan for your life. I like to ask people, is your plan working out? We've seen what has happened. You've seen what has happened. I've seen what has happened in my life. I, there's a testimony. This is the way I used to be. I don't want to go back to that. And some people are still caught up in that, and you're trying to show them this is the way you need to be. This is where you need to go. This is the person you want to pursue, Jesus Christ. And they're caught here in this kind of a cycle, and we're in the business of preaching Jesus Christ and how to live a holy life. Christianity has never been, I take the term Christian and live exactly like hell. It has never been that. It's, I believe in Jesus Christ, He has saved me, and He is making me more like my Heavenly Father. That I am to be godly and holy. Uh, it is a message on how to serve Him. That I believe I am being sanctified and I am serving in this community. By the way, I love the fact that more people are stepping forward and getting involved in our church. I love it. I love where I don't have to even ask sometimes. Hey, we want to get involved. All right, here you go. Perfect. I love it when people want to serve Jesus. This is part of the, the message of Christ. Um, part of the message of Christ is to know what a false teacher is and lies. And people say, well, I don't like all this, you know, doctrine. Uh, doctrine divides. Well, true doctrine divides from false doctrine. We need the truth of God's Word. You need to be able, and you need to actually teach your kids as you're discipling, how to look for a, a false teacher. Like, I can get in conversation with someone, and they know I'm a pastor, and they'll say, oh, it's kind of spiritual, and they want to get, get into a spiritual conversation. And I can just, within a moment, I realize this guy is a heretic. This guy is a false teacher. No, I'm not burning some incense to some pagan god. No, I don't need to, to pray to some other thing. No, I'm not going on the mountain to find out about these witches and all this kind of stuff. I'm not doing any of that. I'm not praying to some crystal. There's people in our culture praying to crystals and wondering why things are so bad in their life. There's false teachers. There's false teaching. There's lies. Uh, we are to preach the truth of God that moves against every lie this culture has to offer. This culture is serving up lies coated in sugar for your young people. Here it is. You, you raise your kid. They've been taught about Jesus. They've been brought up in church. And all of a sudden, they, they, they bring home some other kind of a thing. Why well, now I believe actually I'm this or that. And all these distorted teachings. The truth of the gospel moves against that. That we have people that were made in the image of God. God is in the business of restoring you to what He intended, by the way. Don't get sucked into what Satan is telling people and this culture uh, and all, all this stuff and the lies in the world. This culture has some of our people so confused, many don't even know right from wrong anymore. And we need to get serious about what we believe, even if it means uh, intercepting what's taking place in the government, speaking about those issues. 
Um, I believe in the future that there will be a push to cancel more and more Christian sites, YouTube, podcasts, churches, streaming, all of those kinds of things. I've watched it. You're seeing the cancel culture. The Christianity used to be the cancel culture. They canceled evil. They moved against evil in the world. Well, the evil movement took that and began canceling, pushing against truth in Christianity. The church, years ago, I remember hearing about missionaries now, we're going to obey God rather than government. But if you just read this and said, I'm to be submissive to government, how would we gotten missionaries and, and Bibles into communistic countries? So I was listening to this testimony of a woman. She was invited to go on a mission trip to East Berlin. And they're going in under disguise or whatever it may be. And they're bringing in a bus. And they have stacks and boxes uh, of supplies for, for aid. And they had Bibles hidden in boxes. And one of these German communist soldiers come and, and they start removing everything out of the bus because they're looking for Christian material. They're looking for Bibles. And they pull out some, some boxes and they stack them up and the, the communist guy gets on top of that. He's making orders and telling everybody what to look through. They don't find any of the Bibles. They reload the bus, come to find out the very boxes he was standing on was the boxes of Bibles. But if you just said, we're not to do anything, um, then you would say, well, it's a communistic country. I could be arrested. I could be killed. And then the gospel would never get into places like that. And we, we must be willing. I teach my kids that there is a time to break the rules. If you teach your kid to be this clone that obeys all the rules, there's the rules you've got to break and there's rules you've got to follow. I mean, we still break rules every time we go to the movie theater. My mom passed it on to me how to sneak in candy to the theater. And, I, uh, and we have passed it on to our family. Now, don't tell the movie theater here. And Jessica uses the big pocketbook when we go to the movies. Um, but, you know, I like having fun like that. It teach you know what, we're hiding something in here. It could be a Bible later in life, you know. But uh, those are fun things to do, you know, because we're, we're, at the end of the day, the government doesn't have the authority over the Christian message. And we have to get it out no matter what. In the eyes of the apostles, it was more important to be arrested and beaten uh, than give an inch to the enemy's message. Uh, last week, we talked about Polycarp, who would not bow to Caesar, who would not even sprinkle a little incest and call Caesar Lord, because we are taught the early uh, creed that Christians were taught was Jesus is Lord. That moves against Caesar is Lord. Why, if I call Jesus Lord, why would I call anyone else Lord? And the truth of God saves, and church, nothing else does. The gospel saves people. Uh, we cannot lie to people and expect them to be born again. We cannot pat people on the back and say, you're just fine just the way you are, and expect them to be born again and to hear the message of Jesus Christ. Now, church, as we prepare to close, I'm going to ask Jay to come. There's so much more to talk about in this subject. But ultimately, our allegiance is to God. That we will obey God rather than men. But as we close, I have something that I want to do. Uh, as we're promoting the good news, we are commanded by Paul to pray. And we have the text here. I want to read this for you. And we're going to spend some time. If you guys want to join us at the altar, we're going to, whatever need you may have. But I want you to hear what Paul says here. Paul is killed by the Roman authorities. 
Um, but Paul also tells us to pray for those authorities because we want to see our neighbors saved. Uh, we want to see people in government saved. We want to see our enemies saved. And Paul tells us this, First of all, then, I urge that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, government officials, that we should be praying for them. Why? That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, a godly and dignified in every way, that we want God to move in the government in such a way that we can worship freely. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God. Why? Who desires all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. And church, let's go ahead, if you want to, and stand with us and enter into a spirit of prayer.